The Crux of the Matter, Episode 40, Six Questions Every Pastor Gets Asked. Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors, for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And I'm Professor Scott Stigmeyer. Hey Scott, how's it going? It's going great. We just had fall break here at Concordia Irvine and um, I'm recovering from that. <laughs> <laughs> nice, very nice. Yeah, how are well, you? Uh, things are good here. We're uh, we're kind of in the middle of a crazy October. Lots of uh, lots of visitors at our house and such, and uh, and I've got a, a parishioner that uh, that has a that has a brain tumor right now. Mm. That mm. is uh, pretty serious. He's going to be having surgery in a couple of days, and he's a couple of years younger than me. So that's mm. kind of uh, kind of weighing on me a little bit, I would say. Yeah, but um, that's kind of normal parish life, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it's good. It's good, nevertheless. Okay. So, what have you been teaching this week? Anything? Anything fun? Anything interesting? <clears throat> well, because of the time of the year it is, um, it's sort of midterm. So, I've been doing exams. So, I haven't done as much teaching, but I've been preparing for teaching. So, I'm going to tell you about that. All right. Talk. To uh, me. So, next semester, starting next semester, I just found out last week what for sure what my classes are going to be. And I'm going to be teaching the history of the Christian church, which is 2,000 years plus in one semester for undergrads. No problem. And, uh, but you know what? I'm looking forward to it. I, I sort of majored in church history as my, in my MDiv and with my right. STM work that I did. And, um, so I, you know, I've got some background and, and I've been looking through textbooks and what I've been enjoying has been just finding what First, uh, you know, what primary resources I want them to read. You know, I want them to read some of the epistles of St. Ignatius of, Anti- right. of Antioch. And I want them to read, you know, Justin Martyr's First Apology or the Didache. You know, it, that's been a joy to go through those things and to anticipate teaching some of those things. I think um, historical illiteracy is just as detrimental to the church as uh, biblical illiteracy. Yep. And so that's, that's what uh, I've been prepping for in terms of my teaching. What about you? Fun. So you're going to follow basically the Weinrich model of teaching church history. So this is going to be a class on the entire 2000 year history of the church. You know, you're going to up to what, like 121 AD or something. <laughs> I yeah, think I'm I gonna, had that class with him. It's definitely going to be heavy on the early church because that's where my interest is. And also the Reformation, you know, where I'm not going to be as strong is going to be the Middle Ages and the modern periods. Right. But, um, you know, I can still do stuff there. And, and you know, as far as like the Middle Ages, you know, we'll read we'll read the pertinent things. We'll look sure. at Thomas Aquinas and and but I'm looking forward most of all to teaching the you know second century stuff and 16th century stuff. Sure, well, that'll be fun. Yeah. Well, I had my uh, second book club meeting last night, which was uh, which was a lot of fun. So we spent about the first. I don't know, about the first hour almost talking about Lewis's mere Christianity. And that, you know, and that's always such an interesting approach. And the group of people that I had there was a lot of fun too, because we've, you know, a number of people in their early mid thirties, um, as well as older. And so we had kind of a nice, a nice age mix and cross kind of cross check of that. So that's fun. Um, but, uh, what I, mostly prepared for in doing that was our next book, which is the Father Brown Mysteries by oh, G.K. Chesterton. That's what we're yeah. reading next, particularly the first one, The Innocence of Father Brown. So I did some Chesterton uh, uh, 
working and you know gave them a little uh, a little bio of Chesterton basically. But here's one quote from Chesterton that uh, seems worth ch- sharing. Please. The whole modern world has divided itself into conservatives and progressives. The business of progressives is to go on making mistakes. The business of conservatives is to prevent the mistakes from being corrected. <laughs> no, I rather like that. Yeah, and, uh, Chesterton's great. I haven't read enough of G.K. Chesterton. I, I mean, really either, and there's a lot to read. Yeah. So, uh, so I had a I had a good time learning a little bit about uh, about Chesterton and his lot of a uh, lot of interesting backgrounds. I almost wonder. Um, somebody asked me this morning, what would uh, what would Chesterton have thought of the Second Vatican Council? You know, Chesterton died in 1936. So yeah, okay. 30 years later, the Roman Catholic Church goes through this almost seismic shift in their theology and practice. And uh, it, I think that's kind of an interesting question. Of course, we can't know. But uh, no, no, we can surmise. <laughs> yeah, we can we can guess with the rest of them. Yeah, right. So our topic for this week um, is another one of our uh, sort of shotgun lists, and this is uh, this is something that sort of uh, grew out of our previous list topic, which was the six books every pastor should read after seminary. And the title of this one is Six Questions Every Pastor Gets Asked." There are certain questions that pastors get asked um, that seem like they come up either time and time again, or these are kind of all the questions that pastors get asked fairly early on in their ministry and then kind of continue to pop up. And I thought it would be worth uh, we're taking a few minutes at least and and just given your uh, giving given our off the cuff answers to some of these some of these questions at least. So you can ask me one and then I'll ask you one and we'll go back and forth a little bit. Why don't you start us uh- off? Okay. Do you want me to ask you one that you sure. wrote or one that I wrote? No, okay. no. You can you can ask one of yours or what, whatever you want. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to ask one of my questions and see what you got. Um, so this is not just a question that every pastor gets asked, but why a question every LCMS pastor gets asked. Why do LCMS churches not commune everybody? Hmm. Or yeah. in other words, why do we practice closed communion or close communion? Why do we not have open communion? Right. Uh, I, I know every LCMS pastor who at least tries to observe our, our practice will be asked this question, sometimes politely, sometimes in a very challenging manner. Yeah. Sometimes um, belligerently. Yeah, it's a good one. Sometimes, yeah, right. I have um, – I've tended to answer to answer that by uh by analogy and and say essentially well think of it think of it this way that uh that as a christian you do grow into grow into the christian faith and then receiving our lord's body and blood is uh is is steak if you will this is the this is the full this is the full meal and we want to make sure that you are fully prepared for this and that you're con- and that you know what you're confessing because when you're confessing uh when you receive communion together you're actually saying that you believe the same thing and I don't want to commune somebody who doesn't either doesn't know what we believe or doesn't know what they're actually confessing um but it is a un- undoubtedly it's one of the tougher tougher questions and it comes up all the time doesn't it yeah we we I think we live in a culture that wants to 
um, rush into intimacy. Yeah. And you see that in, in the physical ways that people view sexuality and intimate, physical intimacy as something casual. And you see it in this, the intimacy with the Lord, intimacy with spiritual intimacy with your uh, others of the body of Christ isn't something to rush into or to take casually. Um, and, it, you know, and, you know, we can talk about, um, you know, doctrinal issues and everything, but we, we need to just be able to step back and say, wait a minute. Okay. Um, it's possible to take communion. If we, if we take first Corinthians seriously, it's possible to take communion in a way that's harmful, just like it can be harmful to be physically intimate, something that's good and, but is done in the wrong way and in the wrong timing can be harmful to you. Uh, the Lord's Supper can actually bring harm to a person if they're not, if they're not, like you said, well prepared. If they don't know what they're doing or they don't believe what, in what, what you're doing, they don't know, they don't believe it. Um, and so we have to instruct. And that's part now, of being. I have always been, I've been tempted to use, I'll, I'll, I'll call that the premarital sex argument, basically. Yeah, sure, sure. Right, I have been right. tempted to make use of that argument. I haven't, I don't typically do that with the, with the stranger, with the person that I don't know, because some no, people are no, going to take right. tremendous offense at that. Sure. Now, that may be a reason to actually do that <laughs> is in order to sort of jar a person out of, out of their own thinking. But that is a bit of a, um, it's sort of doubling down because if they are, if they are, they could be so utterly scandalized by it that you're never going to hear from them again. And that may be but the it, cost. But it, it's, yeah, but it's a good way to also do, though to inform our members and help. I, I think it's a helpful and it's, an, it's another analogy. And I think that it's, um, you know, like all analogies has its weakness, but, sure. um, you know, there is something about our desire to be on the first name basis with everyone that seems to be translated into our religious practices. Right. And, and we're just trying to put a pause on that and say, wait a minute here. This is something that you don't rush into. This is something that you prepare for. This right. is something that, you know, requires a little bit of, you know, self-examination, we would say. And um, I don't know you, perhaps, and or if maybe I do know you and know that you confess something differently. Um, and, you know, we just have simply, there are unfortunately things that divide the body of Christ, and we need to take those things seriously, um, not to exacerbate them, but but not to just ignore them either. And right. Right. It's the unfortunate reality that all all those who go by the name Christian are not in fellowship with each other. Yep. Yep. That's a good one. Well, let me ask you one. Uh, if okay. God loves everybody, why does he send some people to hell? <laughs> I'm glad that you saved an easy one for me. I did. Um, I did. You know, you know this nice is the hardest. The Odyssey. So. Yeah. Yeah. This is the hardest question there is. Um, we What I tell people is, first of all, we know there is a hell. I don't think it's an option, uh, not biblically, not confessionally as Lutherans, not historically. I don't think it's an option to say he doesn't, you know, or that there isn't a hell or he doesn't send people to hell. Um, there are Christian bodies and Christian groups who, who take that approach. There are individuals that take that approach sure. that, you know, are kind of universalistic or – um, you know, they just deny the existence of, of eternal damnation. And I don't think you can because Jesus is the one who tells us the most about hell. 
These are the words of Jesus. It's not something that the later church fathers created out of some uh, obscure human tradition. This this right. is from the Gospels. And so we know that it exists. We know that people go there. Uh, I would even suggest that Jesus implies that a lot of people go there. Or it right. says the it whole even. narrow is the you know the wide right. and narrow gates and all yeah, right. all kinds few of few find the narrow one and many right. are on many the wide. Many are called, few are chosen. Right. Yep. Right. Right. Hmm. So I, I I think we have to first say you know what well God does do this we have to acknowledge that that's that that's the fact you know we can't take the easy way and say well God does love everybody and I don't think He really does send people to hell you know um, we can't say that I think He does send people there why does He do it um, you know the the best answer the scriptures don't give us a lot of why answers uh, we don't you know but the best answer we can come up with that I found is to simply say a person who resists the grace of God and rejects the promise of eternal life has themselves sentenced themselves to right. damnation right. and has separated themselves from God. It's yes, God is pronouncing judgment on them. We're all ch- born children of wrath and, you know, we're all objects of wrath by nature. Um, and he adopts, those who are elect, and why not everybody? Why some and not others? That's that's an impossible question. Uh, it's impossible to answer. You start to you start to delve into the mind of God. What we can say is we know that God does love everybody. We do know that He wants everybody to be saved. We know that not all are saved. We also know that those who are saved are saved entirely by the working of God and not their own good works, nothing in themselves. These things seem to start to develop into a paradox. Um, and, and I think that we have to just be comfortable with that. Some people do go to hell. Why, why do they go to hell? It's because of their sin and their, their unbelief. Yeah. It, it's not because God doesn't love them. It's not right. And I also think it's important to – when you get asked and tossed these these sort of random questions, I mean, it amazes me the 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 gravity of questions that you can get asked in line in Starbucks or you know wherever. Yeah, right. It's right. just, I mean, because that is a heavy question, and and you can get that in in almost a uh, so how you doing? Do you know why? Do you know why people go to hell? I mean, it's just yeah. <laughs> it's it's strange. But as pastors, we have to be prepared to give an answer. Um, but we also have to be prepared to say, I don't know. Yeah. If, sure. if and, and not answer beyond what the scriptures say. Uh, so that's, that, that's an important little element to that as well, definitely. A- absolutely. We have to be comfortable and, and willing to engage with mystery. And right. this is, this is a mystery. We don't know the hidden will of God. We know what he's revealed to us and, it's those things I've mentioned, but we don't know his hidden mind, and there are things which he has not revealed. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, hit me with one. Okay, so um, sometimes pastors who are liturgically minded get asked this question, why can't we have uh, more user-friendly music, or why can't we have peppier music, or why can't oh, we have yes. more contemporary music, or different music, or whatever? Right, right. Yeah, that's always a, that's always a favorite. Um it is very easy to think of, uh, let's say, traditional Lutheran worship practice and music, particularly music, as kind of slow and pedantic and and just kind of half dead. And 
I have seen liturgical services that do that. I'm sure you have too. Um, typically, my answer uh, to that is 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 by trying to trying to get at what does the person what is the person actually asking? Is it because they don't like a certain hymn? Is it because there's some particular thing they're looking for? Um, I try to, and a part of what I would try to do is to get out of the traditional versus contemporary mindset. There's plenty of things that we do as I'll, I'll say traditional Lutherans with traditional hymnody and stuff. There's plenty of hymns that are quite contemporary, even brand new, being written all the time that we that we continue to do. That's also true of music and and melodies. Um, there's plenty of contemporary music that. It's contemporary if you mean 1964 or whenever it was written. So contemporary doesn't necessarily mean something either. Now, having said all of that, um, it does kind of get at the what is the purpose of church music? And I think that's going to be – that's where I try to go with that question is is the, the purpose of hymns and, and church music is to – Teach and pass on the faith. It is to deliver something. Um, it is. It's not to entertain the person. So if if uh, if the purpose of church music is to entertain the people in the pews, then they can find some place to be entertained much much better than us. Because you know we're a relatively small congregation. We don't have those kind of resources. We're not going to be able to put on a whiz bang concert like the church down the street that has. You know, that has the unlimited budget. We just can't. Um, but traditional music can be played with energy and vitality. And in my experience, at least, if you have someone that actually knows what they're doing, believes the words that they're confessing, um, that the music can, can have much more uh, vitality to it than we give it credit for. So that's how I, yeah. that's how I try to answer it, or something along yeah. those lines. Yeah, I know. I think that I think that's helpful not to be thinking just in terms of old and new, and the new is better and the old is bad. Right. Um, that's that's a fallacy. Um, sometimes, you know, what people are looking for isn't necessarily uh, rock music or you know jazz music, but. Right. They perhaps haven't seen the best of liturgical practice. And, yep. it, you know, I mean, it can be done badly. You Absolutely. can be doing the, the liturgy and you can do it poorly and it can come off as just pedantic and dull. Uh, but when it's done well and with a little bit of um, creativity, a person can use, you know, find the finest resources of the Christian church, of the Lutheran church, the finest resources available and do it in a way that is suitable to the text for the day. You know, I mean, sometimes they're going to be a little more somber and sometimes they're going to be more upbeat if you want or joyful. Um, that That's going to vary. It's not always going to be one note. And I think sometimes the evangelical movement is very one note. Yep, that's true. And, and so good church music is also going to experience is going to access the full range of human emotion. Yeah. yeah not just right. not just one. Not just one. All right, okay, you ready for another one? Yeah. How can a loving God let this happen? <laughs> Whatever this is. 
Yeah. So this is the theodicy question. You know, yeah, this is why it really does is. If, if God is good and all knowing, if he's all good and all knowing and all powerful, then he can, he can, and we would say should prevent all evil things from happening. Why do little children in Africa get, you know, right. parasites and Ebola and die? Why it's not fair. It's not, it doesn't seem to us to be um, in any way justifiable. And, and so we end up blaming God. We end up either turning God into a monster. He must be immoral. He can't be all good. Right. He must be, um, uh, you know, a vindictive, uh, capricious, unpredictable. And so, or some Christians have said that he's just impotent. You know, he's God's in process of, developing and he's not able to do everything. He's not as all powerful as we thought. He's growing as we are. Um, there are, there are some people who have that process theology about God. You know, th- this is again, one of those things where the scripture doesn't give us a, a, a real clear why answer. We can talk about some of the whys and yep. there's, there's, there's more than one response to this, you know, suffering on the one hand can serve a salutary purpose. And we want to be able to be, spiritually mature enough to recognize that. I don't want to be glib and, and uh, you know, sort of sound like I'm diminishing the suffering that someone's going through by saying, oh, it's teaching you a lesson. Yeah. You should love it. You know, no, I don't, I don't, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't mean to be right. I don't mean to be, um, you know, taking anything, anybody's pain lightly, but there is something biblical about us learning from our suffering and being purified and refined by suffering. Uh, and, and, learning to trust in God for, and that his, his grace is sufficient. You know, there are, those are, those are lessons that are not easy to learn and our flesh doesn't want to learn them. And so sometimes God will allow some pain in our lives, not that he's penalizing us. I don't think it's that God is strut smiting us, uh, for our sins as much as it is that as a father will discipline his child and no child enjoys the discipline while he's going through it. But later we thank our fathers for it that in some respect, God is allowing things, um, even sending things, even causing things that we experience as unpleasant or painful. Um, So, you know, that's that's one answer. Another answer is simply that the evil that men do, you know, much of the suffering can't be blamed on God. God does permit it. You know, God does. I believe that God is omnipotent. But, uh, you know, we want to, we want to place the blame where it goes. And, and that's often on ourselves or other humans. A lot of suffering is self-inflicted, let's be honest. And sometimes for, for reasons we don't always grasp, God gives us enough rope to almost hang ourselves. And, um, those, those, those are some answers, but what do you got? Well, when I, when I hear that question or get that question for kind of number one is, is we do have to get some sense of what's the context. Because if I'm sitting at the hospital bed uh, sure. talking to the spouse of someone who is dying, that's one sort of pastoral circumstance when that question is going to be asked. If I am in in the midst of a debate, if I'm sitting at a bar and suddenly end up talking talking about God, it's the person I'm sitting next to, and and this is sort of the the theoretical question that they toss out. Well, that's another matter entirely, and so yeah, we do sure. we do have to kind of uh, be be conscious conscious of the of the circumstances when these when these sort of questions are asked and and get it. Well, why are you why are you asking? Is it because 
Is it because you don't believe that God is good? Is it because you don't believe God is capable? Is it simply because you're suffering and you don't have answers and you, and you want answers? Well, yeah. Okay. Well, those are so, – so we kind of have I – I think we have to be conscious of what's, what's the context and really what's behind that sort of thing. Very good. All right. You want me to hit you? Yep. Okay. So um, why do some churches, including the LCMS, not ordain women as pastors? Why can't we have women pastors? Yeah. Boy, I've never heard that question before, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, it's another question where uh, I do think context matters. The short answer uh, is because the scriptures don't allow it. And so I actually will try to reframe the question not as why why don't I allow women pastors or why don't we as the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod allow women pastors because it's not that it's not that we don't allow women pastors it's that God mm-hmm. doesn't allow women pastors and we simply confess and acknowledge what he himself has has given to us um and so there there is a context issue there and, and so the short answer is because this is what the scriptures teach, because this is what God's word teaches. And uh, and from there, we can, I suppose, make, get into the question of art. Well, let's look at what the Bible says and kind of talk about the office of the ministry, talk about the uh, talk about the, you know, all all of that. We can go down that road. But but whenever you get one of these questions, a part of my uh, I see a part of my role as the pastor is to take myself out of the out of the subject as much as possible because it doesn't really matter what i think the question is what does god think and and god has actually told us what he thinks he bears mm-hmm. his heart to us in his word so yeah. that's not so that's not um that's something that even if we can't fully understand it we can and do confess what god delivers to us does that make does that make sense? Scott? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that that's I think that that's the ultimate answer. Um, and again, you know, sometimes God doesn't give the why, you know, or or the why is something that we that we piece together. Um, a lot of times, God simply simply you know reveals certain statements, certain realities. Uh, you know, different people will philosophize about the ordination of women. That okay, well, right. Jesus only selected men and. Or, right. Uh, right. you know, when he certainly had female followers, he certainly had female disciples who were very faithful and were, in fact, prominent. And, you know, it, so, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that he would have ordained some of them if if it were something that he thought was okay. He went against social customs all the time. But, um, you know, what ultimately – you know what we know is that the scripture reveals that a woman shall not teach a man in in the in the divine service. Yep. And that's kind of where we have to uh, land on that. So so that's so. the short answer. And again, it's it may not be satisfying in the sense of this is kind of all resolved, but yeah. but I want to point people away from my own opinion and point people to what does the scripture actually say because it's not actually that they have a problem with what I think about women pastors. It's that they have a problem with what God says. Sure. Um, and that's, and that's kind of where the conversation needs to, needs to go. 
Uh, all right. Last uh, last question. This is number six. Okay. Do you wear that outfit in the shower too? <laughs> you know, when I when I served a congregation and the times that I have served church congregations, I wore my collar all the time. Um, you know, I I did not wear it in my personal time. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't um, wear it in the shower. So the answer to I that didn't is wear no. it in the shower. Okay. And I didn't sleep in pajamas that were black with a tab and Gotcha. You know, I but I did wear it when I was acting as pastor, when I was doing my work, when I was being pastor, I wore my collar if you know almost almost all the time. And the reason I did and I think this is important. I would encourage pastors to to wear the collar because it opens doors. It might close some but it opens many, many doors. People will talk to you in line at Starbucks. People will talk to you in the hospital waiting room. People will seek you out. Uh, you know, I found that I was frequently asked to, when I would visit parishioners in the hospital, I would be, you know, more than once in a while, I was asked by other people in the hospital to come pray with their, with their loved one. And I, I, I appreciated that. It's your uniform. It's what marks you as as a called and ordained servant of the word. And it, more than anything, will open doors for you to preach the gospel to the world. And um, so I think it's a tremendous tool, a tremendous outreach evangelism tool. Yeah. Um, plus, it does a lot to your own psychology in simply wearing it. It, it makes yep. you mindful of your office at all times. So, yeah. And, and – and, and that's really yeah. my answer as much as anything is that I wear I wear the collar both for the people whom I serve and for myself as a yeah. continual identifier of of what my what my vocation is. So and that's I mean and it's a uniform in that respect. Now mm-hmm. I will say and and maybe I'm just getting liberal in my old age. I'm not sure, Scott, but I will say that I wear my collar less now than I did 15 years ago. And I don't mean a lot less, mm-hmm. but um, 15 years ago, uh, the thought would never have occurred to me to work not wearing a collar. I mean, sure. it, just, it just wouldn't. Um, yeah. Today, it is with some regularity that Friday is my writing day. I write sermons. I write Bible classes. That's when I write. And a lot of times, uh, I will, I will, um, dress more casual on that, on that day. I don't, I don't tend to schedule appointments on Fridays, that sort of thing. But, um, oh, but yeah. it is, yeah, it is sense. still very much a, uh, a place. Now, another piece to that is, and maybe that's just my kind of learning to be comfortable in my own skin. I'm I am perfectly comfortable being a pastor out of a collar as I am in a collar. I'm going to be I'm going to be these people's pastor regardless of what clothes I'm wearing. And so I don't I don't feel like I don't feel like it's quite as as critical to my it's not necessary. I'll put it I'll put it that way. It is a tool, but it is only a tool. So. It is it is a helpful tool. I, I when I socialized with members, you know, if it was a social, you know, a social gathering, right. and I did, you know, you would go out, you right. go out to dinner with people. You might, you know, do do very much just kind of casual social things. Sure. I didn't wear my collar in those cir- circumstances, sure. Sure. Um, you know. And sometimes I wore it when it was when I knew I was just going to be in my office writing, or if I knew I was going to be right. on my computer. But you see, I usually did most of my writing at Starbucks, honestly. Right. Right. And or, or or the cigar shop or, you know, I would go out 
And when I, you know, when I would go to those places, sometimes I'll have the collar on, sometimes I'll take the tab off. It depends on the setting. Sure. You know, if, sure. if I don't want to be disturbed, because <laughs> it will draw people to you. Absolutely. Uh, my it experience. is a little bit of a flag that says, come talk to uh-huh. me. It Definitely. is. And which is good. It's like, that's a good thing. Right. But, but that may sometimes not be helpful you need to be, right. all the time. Yeah. Sometimes you need to be left alone. And so I didn't do a lot of my writing in my study, I did most of my writing, you know, and in public places just because I get fed by the energy of, I found it to be, um, I, I know that you do this too and that you've gone to like Panera Bread or something you to bet. work on certain, there's something about it that being in a public place, I can put on the earbuds and block out the sound if I need to. But, um, so I would frequently wear my collar. If I'm just going to stay at home or work at home or no, I'm just going to be in my office, uh, then I, then I might not. But, um, you know, but, but generally speaking, when I'm working as a pastor with the people, um, I found it to be a useful tool, not, not necessary, not a necessity. It's not a legalistic thing, right? but, um, but it is, a, I, I really do think it's a useful thing. It's helpful. And as such, I, you know, I wish pastors would wear their collar. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I think this has been a, an interesting little yeah. exercise. If, if you've got any of these pa- questions pastors always get asked that you think we should take up, uh, you can find us at thecruxofthematter.net. You will find the show notes at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash 40. Uh, you can email us at feedback at thecruxofthematter.net, and I would certainly encourage you to do so. I'd also encourage you to consider leaving a tip in the tip jar, which you can find on the webpage. That would be very much appreciated. So, Scott, uh, What's bringing you joy this week? Well, I'm going to pick a book again, but this is Yay. not a theology book. Yeah, surprise. But this is not a book of theology. This is um, uh, a, a, a sort of a self-help book, and it's about um, attention deficit disorder. Now, okay. I've never been diagnosed by a doctor with this, but I think I have it because I – seem to exhibit the symptoms and I find that I'm easily distracted. And, you know, so sometimes I find that, um, I believe that I have ADD. So I found this book called healing ADD and the author's name is Daniel G. Amen. Just like the closing of your prayers. Amen. Okay. Now I've read other books by this guy and he's a neuroscientist and he writes about the brain and the functioning of the brain and how to have a healthy brain. And I, f- I have found his books to be fascinating. And this book, Healing ADD, you know, he talks about, of course, you might need medication, but he talks about the use of, of, um, of diet, uh, supplements, lifestyle changes you can make that hmm. will help you cope with the symptoms of ADD. So if anybody you know has that, you might recommend this book. It's, it, he's not against medicine. He is a medical doctor. So he will prescribe. He just doesn't think that that needs to be the first thing you do. Right. Or the um, only. You, or the only thing. Right. Exactly. Cool. Well, that's yeah, a good one. So that's given me some joy this week. What about you? Excellent. My joy comes from the new Star Wars trailer. Have you seen oh, it yet? Yeah, I did. I loved yeah. it. Can't yeah. wait. That's uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens episode Seven comes out on December 18th and the uh, trailer for it uh, was released on Monday. So uh, so I have uh, been very much enjoying watching that and kind of uh, getting myself ramped up for that. I hope that this is not another uh, Jar Jar Binks episode because uh, I will be – I mean, there will be a lot of rioting, Scott, if we get, uh, if we get 
if we get Jar Jar Binks again, that would yeah. make me very, very sad. But uh, but yeah, so I'm uh, I'm getting pumped for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. And that's just were you in, able to buy uh, tickets about two months? Online? Yeah. Did you buy tickets online? I haven't yet. I and and I frankly I may have missed already missed the opening yeah. day possibility. But you know that's also a week before Christmas, so I have no illusions as to uh, being True. the master of my own time at that point. So True. we'll see. True. True. We'll see. But it'll that's be a good awesome. time. That's for yeah. sure. So if you have not uh, seen the Star Wars trailer, that would be great. Uh, any final words for our dear listeners, Scott? No, we love you guys. Keep giving us input and uh, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks a lot and may the force be with you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right.